Welcome to episode 39 of the Daniel Yours podcast with today's guest, Nick St. Louis. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined here today by Nick St. Louis. Very honored to have him on and get the chance to speak with him. A man who wears many hats like all of us and does a lot of things. Someone who probably I wouldn't be able to do a very good job of describing. So I'm going to let him do it for you. Nick, thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Thanks for doing these podcasts. Yeah, my name is Nick St. Louis. I live in Ottawa, Canada. Um, I lead a health network called the Foot Collective. Um, and I'm always game to have, I have less time to do these podcasts these days, but I'm always game to have a good conversation about health or uh, the other half of my time is in the Bitcoin space. So talking about that, and I think they are pretty interrelated as we were chatting about before. And um, yeah, I mean, there's not... I just, I'm a proponent of people taking radical responsibility for their health. And in order to do that, they have to have the, the understanding and some tools and awareness to be able to actually take care of themselves. And so that's sort of been the focus of my work uh, for the past five years. And uh, podcasts are one of my favorite ways to um, convey the message and also one of my personal favorite ways to learn. So I think the podcast medium is a really powerful one. And uh, like I said, thank you for doing these because they take time and energy and you don't really get an instant reward for them, but I think they are important. So thank you, Daniel. That is true. And I appreciate that. And you know, this, this concept of personal responsibility is, I think one of the biggest reasons I wanted to talk to you today and, you know, of course, all the foot stuff and everything else all included, but over the past couple of years, this personal responsibility of our health has become something that is, you know, ever more important. And I wanted to start off this podcast. I don't often do this, but there's a quote that I read last night and I was like, wow, this this sounds like something that Nick will resonate a lot with. So I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to let you kind of riff off it and help explain a little bit of who you are and what you do. Sure. So it's a conversation between uh, me, the author, and an old woman. This is from uh, Richard Wagmese's book, Embers. He asks, what does it mean to believe? The old woman says, you have to live your belief every day. To believe in something and not live it is dishonest. Hmm. What does that mean to you? One. Oh boy. That means a lot of things. I think at its core, it means, you know, like in the foot collective, we have this core community of people called foot nerds. And these are people who have gone on sort of a 12 month guided journey that we've created, um, to really learn about health and employ, like live health, basically to live health. It's not really about like learning from books and learning information. It's about applying principles that you pick up through these resources that we've put together and applying them experientially in your own life through experimentation and then learning from that because that is the king, right? Like experiencing things, making mistakes, doing experiments, uh, really taking a keen eye and sort of applying the scientific process to how you discover health, what health is, because health is very subjective. And you know, this community of foot nerds are, are like pretty special humans. They self-select for people who want to put in the work for a year. Uh, there's an enrollment fee, which is sort of their financial commitment um, to covering the costs of us being able to run the program. Um, but those people, one of the things in the manifesto of that community is we lead by example. And being health is actually the best way to teach health. Because, you know, when I go for a walk around the neighborhood barefoot or when I'm... Um, you know, at the supermarket buying real food and putting my stuff on the, on the conveyor belt, people look at that and they learn, 
right? They learn way more than if I went and talked to them about what real food is or why the benefit, why there's benefits of going barefoot. And so I think leading by example and embodying whatever message you're trying uh, to convey, I think is really important. And I think people see it, right? Because if I'm telling you to do something and I do something totally opposite, uh, or I'm not living that mission, um, then that inauthenticity will eventually slip out. And it's a you know, it's stressful to always try and put up this facade to do what you you're telling people to do. Uh, and it's really easy to just share what you know, by authentically being what you're saying. And I think that's, that's a really good quote. And it's it deeply resonates with me where it's like, you gotta walk the walk. And that's the, you know, right now we're going through this transition where the footnote program has been this constantly evolving organism of, I think we're about 170 people from around the world from a variety of backgrounds. We have a lot of diversity, which is actually part of the beauty of this community is we don't all agree on everything. Um, and that's the point, right? Is to have conversations, to have these beautiful disagreements where we can collectively determine truth by sharing our perspectives. And, you know, I think the big thing with that is we need to, in order to empower others, we need to first empower ourselves. And, you know, this next evolution of the Footner program is deciding like, okay, well, what does this thing turn into now? And, you know, what we're working on is sort of, in my opinion, a university degree, I'm trained as a physiotherapist. And one thing I realized is that getting a degree in, in what we call the health professionals, air quotes, uh, is actually mostly just getting a degree in understanding how to diagnose and treat symptoms, which has nothing to do with health. It is the antithesis of health. And so I stopped practicing physio because I realized that's not health, right? That's like symptom management and disease management. And to truly help people with their health, we almost have to go on this learning journey ourselves. And, you know, one thing we want to do is, okay, if universities, a uh, university degree is no longer a valid proxy for your ability to help others with health, can we actually create a valid proxy, right? Like everyone's all about these certifications, but they often don't end up meaning much, right? Like we have an online seminar. It's six hours and people do it and they say, can we get a certification? It's like, well, what, how can I give you a certification? I don't know if you watched it. I don't know if you embody it or live it or, or actually do this. Um, so I can give you a piece of paper saying you paid for a course, but it, it, it really carries very little meaning. And so one thing I've been looking at as we kind of go into this next metamorphosis phase of the Footner program, um, trying to co-create this like actual um, designation that carries meaning is how do we do this? And one of the inspiring models I've been looking at is um, both trades and also uh, indigenous tribes, how they uh, validate elders or how they validate uh, ceremony leaders, right? And with trades, you start as um, someone who's curious and then you become an apprentice and then you work with a master and you get mentored and then eventually you become a master. And the mentorship relationship, you know, the mentor, the master is the gatekeeper to determine whether you're competent and have the ability. And so we're going to seek inspiration from those things and really try and create some sort of designation or certification, whatever you want to call it, that actually serves as a valid proxy for health understanding and ability to help others. And it's a hard problem to solve, um, but I think it's important to solve it. And, you know, like what do what did degrees initially stand for? They were there so that every person doesn't have to vet every person that's claiming to, to, to understand health, right? Like if I, if I'm going to see a doctor, if I have a medical issue, which is not, which is very different than health medicine and health, very different. If I have a medical issue and I go see a doctor, I probably want to know that they've got a medical degree and went to medical school and someone has vetted that person as having put in the time to learn that, right? Like that's a valid use case for a degree. Um, 
But what happens in the modern health professionals is they don't actually teach health. And therefore that degree means very little. And people get upset about this. And I want to be really clear. I'm not saying that if you have a health professional degree, you are not a competent health professional. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that if you have that degree, it does not necessarily mean that you're competent because I know physios that aren't very good. I know physios that are great. I know personal trainers that are better than physios. So it's really the ability of the person and what they've learned in their life and how committed they are to mastering their craft that matters. Um, not necessarily the piece of paper you paid a lot of money for. And yeah. it seems like the people who paid more for that piece of paper are the people that get pissed more when I say this. And you know, it is what it is, but that's kind of our mission. And, and that whole idea of having a mentorship relationship where your mentor is the one who determines whether you're ready or not to begin your journey in helping others, not to say that you're an expert, but like essentially gives you the stamp of approval to say, yeah, based on all the conversations we've had and everything you've shared with me, you're ready to help others. You might not be great, but you're ready to start. And the feedback you get from others and the constant striving for mastery of getting better at helping others by first leading through your own life and, and working on your own health deeply, deeper than most other people, which is what makes you a competent guide to help with others uh, or help others with their health. That's sort of what we're going through right now. And it's pretty exciting because I think it's, you know, when we talk about a health system, we always talk about the health system. And I've literally started to draw a hard line. When anyone says health system, I say, whoa, we don't have a health system. We have a sick system. We have a sick care system. That's all we have. So let's not pretend like we have a healthcare system because that's part of the problem. And, you know, when we talk about a health system, like a, an integrated health system, the way I think about it is there's three components. Component number one is accessible, high quality, simple education available to the public. So everyone should be able to access good quality, simple education that doesn't make things complicated, that simplifies and that gives them um, reliable guidance as to what they can do to improve their lifestyle. So that's number one. Number two is some sort of protocol to train guides. Cause the reality is most people are going to need help at some point, not necessarily to be told what to do, but to be pointed in the right direction. So you need publicly available health education. You need a protocol for training health guides, which are the helpers in the system. And then you need a way to connect the people who need help to the people who can help. And like, those are the three prongs of what I would call a health system. And so we're going to try and create a health system with the foot nerds who are interested in this project um, to serve the TFC network and maybe act as a template for what a health system can actually be. Because the, the fundamental problem is we don't have a health system. Therefore, no one is healthy. Yeah. No. Um, and I, so, sorry, that was a long rant, but no, yeah. that's perfect. I, I completely agree with everything you've said. And I had uh, my own experience with that. I, I spent a year in chiropractic college before realizing some things and then, and then leaving. Um, and with the healthcare system, my own interactions, family members, interactions with the, the system, the sick system. Yep. Um, and so I, I think that you're like well on the right path. One thing that I've thought about in the past and it, you know, came up again as you were speaking there is sometimes, you know, as a personal trainer, I, I almost think that my job is a little bit silly. Like it's silly that I have a job because if in you what think sense? a couple hundred years ago, Nobody would have needed to oh, yeah, go okay. to the gym to exercise. Like this is a job that has been created to offset modern culture. And same as this like whole health system. Like we have all this shit food, food, if you can even call it that. And now we have to like, like yeah, we have to educate people on how to eat properly when we should just be eating properly. Like it shouldn't even be a thing. And so yeah. it almost seems silly to me that like these, these jobs exist, but I do realize that they are increasingly more important. 
Yeah. And I, I think so many of those jobs are siloed when in reality, um, like a holistic health, someone with a holistic health to understand, like we look at health in five pillars. So you have movement, sleep, food, the mind or mindfulness and community. And those five pillars are bi-directionally interconnected. So you cannot improve health in a meaningful way by just trying to do one pillar while ignoring all the others. It just doesn't. And I saw this all the time in the clinic uh, when I was practicing, you know, people come in to work on their movement health. And if they're sleeping terribly and they don't even eat real food, well, there's actually no way your body can heal if you're not allowing it the time to heal or giving it the, the resources to actually build new tissue or remodel tissue. Right. So it's this kind of limiting shallow um, approach to what we call health. And in reality is just like symptom management. Um, and yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's, you know, modern life has gotten really far off track. And, you know, one of the quotes that I love and that I remind myself frequently is there's nothing new. There's only old things we forgot. And, you know, one of our biggest, I guess, principles at TFC and one of my personal principles is that health comes by subtraction. It does not come by adding more things, by adding uh, more treatments, by adding more exercises or mobility, whatever. Uh, it comes by subtracting the things that are creating the need for those things. And, you know, like um, just taking the example of feet, for example, when your feet are giving you pain or when you have some sort of issue at your foot, everyone goes for the addition route, right? I need orthotics. I need more supportive shoes. I need blah, 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 blah. When in reality, it's like just wear shoes that don't mess your feet up and spend a bit of time barefoot yeah. plus time equals you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, people don't like that. to hear that, but especially people who make money by doing all the other things that people like to add. But that's I found that to be the truth. And if you understand first principles of physiology, that is the truth. And so I think we just need to I think that's part of the approach that we take that resonates with people is that we actually simplify like we remove things. Right. We we eliminate the noise so that they can start to see the signal, which is actually really simple things done consistently. And if you can and, you know, another big thing where that we um, sort of help deliver in our messages that the environment is the chief determinant of your behaviors. If you'd make a little subtle change in your environment, you'll probably change thousands of behavioral reps instead of having to focus on each of those reps and doing them and, you know, like remembering and being consistent, like just change one thing in your environment and it will massage you in the right direction. And so environment design, I think is really underrated. Behavior design is very connected with that. And these are things I did not learn in a two years master's degree of what I'm told is a health professional degree. And so I think traditional universities are going through this uh, phase shift right now where people are realizing like they're teaching outdated shit. Um, it's way overpriced and it doesn't even help me that much do what I want to do because in two years I have to relearn everything because we live in a different world. And so why am I paying all this money? to get this piece of paper to pretend like I know the stuff when really it doesn't actually serve as a valid indicator of that. And so I think people are searching for different ways of seeking education. And I think my, my personal take is that education must happen uh, through community. Like you have to have others to learn with, uh, otherwise it's much harder to continue to learn and to stress test your knowledge. So yeah, lots of, yeah. I mean, the bar is low. So there's every, the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. We have a massive opportunity in health. And, you know, my hope was that this issue that we have going on, you know, today's September 29th, we're still in the middle of this um, pandemic, whatever the pandemic is. I don't think it's a viral pandemic, it's some sort of pandemic, uh, you know, some sort of crisis. 
And that would have been the perfect opportunity to focus on health. And I've seen the complete opposite where it's like been a full on assault on health by people who are making decisions that clearly don't understand what's actually going on. And so, yeah, big problem, big opportunity. And no one's really taken, um, really capitalized on that opportunity, right? Like one of the big networks, uh, Apple, Google, Facebook, whatever, could literally create a health system uh, that is better than what any government can create right now. And I think they're probably interested in that. I they're smart people, um, but they just need a template and they, and, and I, I just, I'm very hopeful that someone will pick it up and make it happen because it's so very much needed right now. Yeah. It will benefit everyone in every way. And like you said, sure. you know, a lot of the, you know, school does have some, some good things and we learn some good things, but I think that a lot of the things that healthcare practitioners and, you know, in any sense of that word, a holistic, you know, someone who's kind of looking at things from a, the proper perspective, most of the things that we learn are things that we learned outside of school. I think about mm -hmm. the things that I use on a day-to-day -day basis, aside from, you know, your basic anatomy, physiology, you know, those basic sciences, everything else is stuff that I learned outside of school and, sure. and you know, and, and that's okay. And, but the hard part of that is, or, or the difficult part in conveying this is that all of the things that seem to have the most impact, like you mentioned, the environmental design and where you live and like how you kind of organize your life. These are the things that almost seem too simple and too obvious that people, in my experience, kind of just ignore it. It's like, no, no, I want something bigger. I want a big change. Just go for a walk for 30 minutes every day, take your shoes off. Oh no, that's not big enough. I need to spend a bunch of money and go see all these people and do all this stuff when, you know, maybe a 30 minutes walk with your feet on the ground will, will solve some problems for you. Sure. And I understand why they think that because everyone loves to promise the big changes, right? That's what gets people's attention. Um, but that's not how change works. Yeah. Like people, you know, when people come to see me uh, for help, like right now we have a new, this is where I am right now. It's a community project where we have a small satellite uh, office, um, which is really just where I live right now uh, in a community. And my goal is to be a uh, community health resource. So when people come, they book a session, we chat for an hour, we figure out, um, you know, where are you at in your life right now? What do you think are the biggest things you need to work on? And they might have a list of like 10 things. And it's like, okay, let's pick one. Let's pick one thing and make sure you understand. Like, for example, if they're like, yeah, I don't eat, I, I eat terribly. It's like, okay, let's pick food for now. Well, we can address the other pillars eventually, but let's just prioritize one. And then it's like, well, if I just empower that person with a heuristic of how to determine what's food and what's food like products, and all they do is switch over to eating more food over time, they're going to be completely fine. Right. Yeah. But oftentimes that person comes in with this preconceived notion that they have to know how to read nutrition labels. They have to know how to count their calories. They have to know all this stuff. And it's like, no, no, no. I want you to unlearn all that and forget about it and literally just focus on eating real food. And the fresher it is, the, the closer it is from being alive. And we have a really cool far, farmer's market in, in, um, the neighborhood I'm in, which is Hintonburg, Ottawa. And, you know, literally just saying like, do most of your groceries at the farmer's market. That's all they need to know. Hmm. And they're like, no, that can't be it. What about <laughs> nutrition? What about diet? I'm like, no, 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 just try it. You don't yeah. have to believe me. Just try it. Yeah. And when they start to feel better and they start to see firsthand, like, wow, the simple things actually work. You know, they, they come to see me oftentimes for clarity, not for more stuff. Uh, or, and even if they come for more stuff, they leave with clarity and usually it's by subtraction. So yeah, I think we just need to really take a step back and see how far off track we've gotten because making minor changes to what we're currently doing is not going to cut it. We need to literally just, and the cool thing is, is like 
restarting is actually beautifully simplifying health. Like that's really what restarting means. It's like, let's go to the base fundamentals and what can you do tomorrow? You know, like the ambitious changes never work. And it's so funny because the people who are obsessed with the ambitious changes have often attempted many times and failed, and yet they still go for that. And it's, it surprises me. And so, you know, if someone's not ready to make the small changes, then I just say, okay, well, come see me when you are try and do the ambitious changes if you want, if that's what you're into. But when it's, when it's not working, come see me and I'll help you determine like the smallest thing you can do for five minutes tomorrow to kickstart this process of, you know, like, I think this mental model that health is a place you get to. And then when you're there, you're done, uh, is, is totally false. It's like this myth. And that's what most people's mental model is. Like, I just want to get healthy. It's like, what does that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I often ask people, what does health mean to you? And they have no answer. Yeah. And so it's like, well, you're trying to get somewhere that you don't even know you don't even know where that is or what that means. And you're trying to get there. It's like, let's start with clarifying the, like just define health. What does it mean to you? And, um, you know, if we viewed health as a dynamic process that requires energy and a daily commitment to it, instead of this, um, you know, destination that we want to get to by doing all the secrets, then I think our mindset would be much more process driven and, uh, you know, allow us to take the approach that like, if I did one tiny thing today, to work on my health and I've done my job. I can feel good that I, that I put in the work. Um, and I think that's really liberating for a lot of people where it's like, Oh, it's not as scary as I thought. It's like really easy. I just, I should probably just meditate for a minute this morning and I can feel good that I showed up and did something for my health. And then tomorrow I'll try something different. And when I need more examples of experiments, I can try, uh, I'll come see you and we'll have a chat and they're very informal, right? Like if you contrast the physio world where it's like, very formal, very regimented. I have to chart. I have to write everything down to this new way. Uh, I'm doing it. It's like, I don't chart anything. You bring your own notebook. I don't need to take notes. You're the one that's coming to see me. You should take notes. It's like, okay, well let's bring a notebook. We'll have a tea and let's just chat about what you feel is important to work on right now and where you're struggling. And yeah. we'll collaboratively figure out some sort of plan that tomorrow you can do something small and keep the ball rolling. And that's really, I think the sustainable way to approach health. And it's the way that gives them their power back, um, and gives them the responsibility back instead of me pretending like it's my responsibility to take care of them. Cause it's not, it's my responsibility to make sure they have the right direction, uh, and, and, and enough clarity to take action, not to actually prescribe. This is what you need to do. And that's kind of like the health professional approach. Right. Yeah. I, th I think the small little changes over time, make the most difference because it isn't like you said, there's no finish line. You don't get healthy and then mm. you're done. It's a now until forever. That's, that's what the timeline is like. And so when you, when you eventually come around to realize that you'll learn that, you know, these, uh, ambitious goals or these hardcore goals of like, okay, I'm going to eat all super healthy food, count all my macros, you know, work out for two hours, seven days a week and like do all this crazy stuff. It's like, okay, I, I can't reasonably keep that up for mm. the rest of my life. So let's build these habits because it has to be something that I can do for the rest of my life. It's not just for three weeks until I go on vacation with my buddies or, you know, two months until I get married or, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's now until forever. One yep. thing I wanted to kind of come back to, and you talked about, you know, the silos of health, we talk about exercise, nutrition, you know, whatever it is. I've often thought of these as problematic in the sense that, um, People think one dimensional. It's, oh, I must only exercise and that's the only thing I need to do. But on the at the on the flip side of that, they are a good entry point. If someone says, if someone who knows nothing about health 
comes in and says, oh, I want to start exercising or I want to eat healthy. I want to improve my sleep. That's fine. That's a good entry point. That's something that we can work with. And then we can sort of build on top of other stuff. And so I imagine, you know, in, in your world, it's someone comes in with a foot issue and okay, it's not really a foot issue. There may be a foot issue, but there's also a sleep issue. There's also a nutrition issue. There's also a community issue. There's all these other things, but we just got to get your attention with the foot thing. Let's fix that and let's work on all the other stuff at the same time. But without that entry point, uh, there's no way to, to bring the rest of that world to that person. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think feet, you know, we started with the foundation of the body because it was a big problem, but it's also a really a uh, good place to start because it's like when you build a house, you build the foundation first <laughs> yeah. and if the foundation sucks, everything sucks. Um, and yeah, I think that, um, a concept I like to think of is the I shaped professional and the T shaped professional and professional. I define as someone who, you know, if we're talking about a health professional, it's someone who, um, spends the bulk of their time, uh, working in this industry and has a mastery mindset and makes the bulk of their income from doing that work. So they're they're they care about um, constantly improving their ability to do their craft and they make their primary income from this thing. They're not doing it as a hobby. So that's how I define professional. And this notion of a T-shaped and an I-shaped professional, an I-shaped professional is someone who has uh, a narrow breadth of expertise. So if you look at, if you think of the letter I, but a very deep understanding. So like, for example, if you're in food, you have a narrow spectrum. If you're a nutritionist, you have a narrow spectrum of expertise, but you have a very deep understanding. Um, whether or not that understanding in nutrition is actually does anything. Um, <laughs> that's another story. And then you have the T-shaped professional, which is you might still have your specialty. So if you look like T has a, a horizontal line and then a vertical line, the, the horizontal line is a shallow understanding of the entire breadth of health. So you are literate at a basic level in all pillars of health. Because guess what? You're a human. If you want to be healthy, you need that, right? And so you have a basic sense, uh, like a more superficial sense of health in a broad in a broad way, and you're able to convey heuristics. Like you might not be able to, someone comes and they're clinically depressed and your, your, your specialty is not in mental health or psychiatry, then you probably shouldn't be the person to directly help that person. But if someone comes in is like, I feel like this weird anxiety every day, I don't know what to do. You can share the fact that when you meditate every day for five minutes or whatever amount of time, it helps. And so you have a basic literacy of health and yet you still have your specialty. So you're a health generalist with a specialty as a T-shaped professional. Um, and ideally you're connected to a network of other people who have deep understandings in different areas of health so that you know who to send them to. But I think, I don't think it's too much to ask for us all to have a uh, you know, a human understanding of all pillars of health, because that's what we need to be healthy. And if we're calling ourselves health professionals, we need to walk the walk and we need to have some competence in all pillars. And so I really think that right now there's a lot of I shaped professionals and we need to move over to a T shaped archetype where we all have a basic literacy of health and we each have our individual specialties, but health, the, the general knowledge of health is a, is a, is primary. Our specialty is secondary. And I think when we, when we start to adapt that mindset to the society we live in, we're going to have a much better group of people prepared to actually meaningfully help people with their health. Yeah. I, again, 100% agree. The, the way that I've often thought about myself, you know, evolving as a trainer and a coach and a health professional is that I want to be very good at, at one thing and I want to be kind of good at all of the things. 
And, and the way that I can sort of qualify that is I want to know enough to give the basics and to understand what the problem might be so that I can send someone to a more qualified person. I don't, I don't want to have conversations with people where they're talking to me about some health issue. And I'm like, I literally have no idea what to do about that. I don't want to be caught off guard like that. It's like, I want to know the basics, maybe give you some, some easy things to do. Like you said, you know, a quick meditation, you know, stop drinking Coke, start drinking water, just whatever the easy things. And then, and then if there's something more involved, then I know enough to send you to the right person who does know that issue uh, in in more depth. And I think that this, this more collaborative effort will help everyone. and, And especially this is always layered in, but it's like the business side of it. It's like, well, I don't want to give up that patient. I don't want to send that patient to someone else or that person, that client, because now I've lost them. In, in practice, anyone who's done this, you know that it doesn't end up working like that. It always comes back around on the financial side of it. And at the same time, who cares? Like help that person first, worry about the other stuff after, right? But we need to know enough about what everyone else does and about all of the things that encompass what health is in order to be able to best help our, our patients and our clients. Yeah. And I think there's almost like this different dynamic building where we can help people like the guy that I owned a physio practice with. Um, we, we have this debate and this discussion frequently. It's like, how much can you help people, uh, through the content you create or digitally with like guidance sessions versus, uh, in person. And obviously there's things in person you can't do digitally, uh, you know, like physical touch or, uh, spending time one-on-one and like speaking to another human. It's very important, but how, like, how important is that to actually help someone meaningfully make changes in their life? Because if it's all about helping them make changes in their life, you don't, they don't make changes in their life in the clinic, right? Like that's where they learn how to make changes in their life. But you could probably say the same stuff over a video or a database of information that you can usher them towards. And to me, that's a much more scalable approach such that the best person to deal with this problem uh, helps the world because the world can now access them. And so I think we're going to have this washing out of people who are maybe overcharging or overemphasizing the in-person stuff. And uh, people will be going towards the the best people in different areas, right? Those people who are, because I think it is uh, good to be a specialist in an area because in a world of fully interconnected access, people will gravitate towards a specialist for that specific issue. But I, I just think there's a lot of untapped potential because we're pretending that we can only help people in person. And I don't, I think that's, I don't think that's true. Um, I think there's always going to be a place for in-person interaction, but the time you have with the person face-to-face is a precious period of time. You don't need them going through granny exercises with your supervision. Like that's a waste of time. They can do that at home. And those granny exercises probably aren't doing a whole lot anyway. Um, <laughs> but if you can really have the per- the human conversations, like listen to that person, have them feel heard, maybe do a little bit of manual stuff to loosen up an area they might not get at at home. Um, that's still important, but it's a smaller piece of the puzzle. If we're looking at health more broadly and looking at how can we help the most people, um, take responsibility for their health, because telling them they have to come see you is the inverse of responsibility, right? It's disempowering them saying like, basically the subtle message is you can't do this yourself. Come see me. I'm the one you have to see. And, you know, I think if we contrast that to, you need to do this yourself. 
I'm here to help. Come see me when you feel you need some more clarity or when you need to, under, you know, if you're getting confused or lost or you're losing clarity, come see me and we'll, we'll regain your clarity. But I expect you to tell me what you've been doing, what's not working and what the specific issue is. Because if you come in with no understanding of what's going on, we're not going to make as productive use of time. And so putting the onus back on the person to say like, here's a bunch of content I've created to help you get clarity. If you still have questions or if you need to come see me in person, then come see me. But for the most part, it's like, this is the content that's going to help you. If you get value from it, you can donate here, right? This whole thing of pay for value, I think is really powerful, uh, where instead of just fixing a price and saying, this is what I charge, or you have to have this membership or recurring price to see this content. It's like, if you get benefit from it, then the way you can give value to me to express that you got benefit from it is you send money here. And, you know, that value transfer system is another, you know, that kind of integrates into my other interest that I spend the other half of my time on, which is uh, Bitcoin and understanding like a new monetary system that brings us into a monetary 21st century. Cause like we're in the dark ages right now, still in terms of money. And I think that that's actually a really big element to the health problem uh, because everyone's on this treadmill um, that's constantly getting faster. So you have to run faster and faster just to keep pace. And it ends up costing a lot of people their health because they're having to spend more and more of their energy working to earn less and less purchasing power. Therefore, uh, they're on a hamster wheel that has no way off. And we finally have a choice in terms of what money we choose to use uh, to store our time in, because that's really what money is, right? It's a way to store human time. I give my time to you. You give me some sort of storage um, tool so that I can plug my time into and save that so that I can then send that to other people to pay for things I want. But if that storage tool is inferior and is literally falling apart every year that I'm holding it there, then I'm left with less and I have to work more and I have less time available to take care of myself because I have to all these responsibilities that I need to prioritize. And so, yeah, I think there's, like I said, it's, it, it excites it. I go through these like high contrast phases where I'm like, this is so bad right now. It's crazy. It's this bad. But then I'm like, it's that much better to, to like, it's a huge, it's a huge opportunity. And it just shocks me that, there hasn't really been a, a really strong push for something that like makes sense, even at a simple level where it's like, this is a scalable approach and a system that we can just get people driving into and actually like flourish and, and get a really good understanding of health. And I think it starts with just having discussions about what health is to each of us. You know, we have this mighty network, um, tfcmighty.com, and it's this community of about a thousand people from the TFC network that answer a few questions when they come in to enter into this um, platform. And it's basically our own private social media platform so that there's no censorship. Uh, people are comfortable talking about issues that might be triggering on other social media platforms. So everyone answers these questions when they come in. One of the questions is, how do you define health? And so I read all these answers and I, you, you detect common threads. Everyone has a different subjective answer, but there are common threads. Um, and so I think just understanding what people's uh, definition of health is, is a good starting point to figure out like, okay, well, how do we actually solve this health problem uh, together um, through better understanding? Because that's really how it, how it gets solved. Yeah. I think that one of the bigger challenges, and you know, let me know if you agree with this, with implementing this model on a national or international scale is that it's difficult in practice to do. Like it's very easy to tell somebody 
you should go exercise, do three sets of this, do that, do that. Let me, you know, put this machine on you, rub it on here. It's going to feel good. Uh, you know, don't eat junk food, eat healthy food, eat vegetables. Yep. Like that's good. That's, that's super easy to do that. Right. But to educate somebody properly, not just spitting facts at them that they already know and they've already heard, but to educate them in an empowering way that allows them to understand that they can do this and how to actually implement it in their life tomorrow. And then for the rest of their life, that is the most difficult thing to do, I think, as a practitioner. And it, it takes the most time as well. So we, we get into this. I don't want to use the word laziness, but for lack of a better word, it's laziness that it's like, hey, just just do this. And, you know, next patient, please. And and, and it's it's easy. It gets people through the door. It, it does help in some sense. It probably creates as many or more problems as it as it solves. But it's it's it feels like service and this education real education not just spitting facts at people is the most difficult uh difficult part of of all of this yeah and i think there's some responsibility to be shouldered there by um the education system right like why aren't we learning about health from grade 1 to grade 12 yeah if you can't answer me that that like that's the dumbest thing ever that we don't teach health and we don't teach financial literacy and my hope in my heart is that it's not on purpose but it could be, I don't know. <laughs> Either way, why haven't we freaking changed that? Yeah. Like we know it's a problem. It's not a surprise that we have a health crisis. Like if you actually look at even some superficial stats, like we're in a really bad place. And so when a virus comes along, it's no surprise that the whole system fails because it was already on the brink of failure. It was already in failure mode, in my opinion. Right. And so, you know, this whole idea of teaching kids about health from a very young age and instilling the values that they, you know, like health is important, health is simple, Here's what you need to do to be healthy. Like what is more important to learn as a kid um, than like, like kids, in my opinion, kids should just play and learn about health until like grade 10. And then they should start to learn about money from grade 10 to 11. It's like, why don't we do that? Because then we don't have to backtrack. And the funny thing is like you teach kids about health. They teach the parents, yeah. right? The kids become the teachers for the parents. So to me, it's like, the people engineering the education system and like hierarchically, the way I look at it in terms of problems is like, you have the health problem, which is at the top underneath that you have the education problem then you have the governance problem and then you have the money problem. So the money problem is actually the precursor to all the other problems because the money determines who governs us. The people who govern us determine what our education system looks like and our education system ends up determining our health. And so, that's kind of why I spend the other half of my energy on helping create sound money for the world. Because when you fix that, so many of the other things start to fix themselves, right? Like when, when we all have a meaningful vote as to what our kids learn in school, we can vote for the fact that health is important to learn. Like, why don't they learn how to grow food? That would be fun. As a kid, I'd be like, this is super cool watching yeah. things grow off plants that I can eat. Um, you know, why don't they do like, small meditation sessions as part of every class. Like this isn't unreasonable. And yet this isn't even close to being implemented because the old system has so much momentum and it's so resilient to change, right? Or resistant rather to change. And so, you know, I think some of the, and the cool thing is like you create a system where you open source good quality content and teachers can come out of the woodwork and say, I want to plug this into my school, right? Like we have some teachers that 
um, reached out and got a bunch of beams and they're teaching uh, balance, uh, which is like both a physical and a mental health practice in their class. And like stuff like that gives me hope because it's like, okay, well, the teachers are just taking this into their own hands. If they understand health or have gone through a journey with their own health, they can then convey those, um, th- that information to their kids and instill the values of health into their kids. And so, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's like, there needs to be some coordination and there needs to be some foundational stuff given in school so that we're not starting like 50 miles behind by the time people are adults. Like that's not an efficient way of doing things, but we really need to have conversations with the people who are actually allocating resources uh, at a high level uh, nationally and be like, okay, well, this is clearly broken. Like let's start fixing this now. Cause every day we wait, it's just getting worse. Um, yeah. 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 It's like the more, the more you think about it, the more interconnected it all seems. And to someone who hasn't thought about it, you might think, well, what does Bitcoin have to do with feet? You know, those are, those are unlikely uh, as an unlikely pairing. But when you spend a few minutes and think about it, it's like, no, this, the Bitcoin thing gives it's freedom of money, freedom of choice, freedom of, uh, of everything. Cause money controls everything or, or currency store value store controls everything. And then, you know, if we talk about our feats or, or any aspect of our health, again, the foot thing being, you know, one silo, one entry point to that, mm. it gives you freedom of things to do in your life. Like I think about health as something that it's like, well, I don't ever want to get to a point in my life where a friend says, hey, let's go for a hike on this thing or let's go on vacation here. Or, let's do this, you know, physical, somewhat physical thing. And it's like, oh, I can't do that because my back hurts. I can't do that because, you know, I, I'm sick and I can't walk for more than 10 minutes. Uh, you know, that seems terrible to me. And so that is a, that is a removal of, or a loss of freedoms in my, in my life imposed on myself because I didn't take care of my own health. Now, if we do get healthy and we do maintain that health, then I have the freedom to physically do any activity or action or whatever it is that I want to do, right? I don't want to ever have to get to the point where I'm 90 and I have grandkids or great grandkids and I can't play with them because, oh, you know, granddad is 90 and he can't play with you. Like that's not a valid excuse. Right. And so it's, it's a loss of freedoms. And so by gaining back freedoms or creating freedoms through the financial system and through our health, it's, it's very much meshed in, in this, in this life that we live. Yeah. And, you know, feet are the foundation of our physical body and money is the foundation of society and the values of our money permeate into society. So if money is innately engineered to be unfair and corrupt then society will innately be unfair and corrupt because it just adopts the values of this base language that we all speak, which is the language of value. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's so we're so early that it still seems like this fringe thing. Um, although I can send you Bitcoin over Twitter now, like it's not that fringe anymore, but I think when people, the, the, the problem with Bitcoin is that people don't understand money. And so if you don't understand money, you have no framework to plug Bitcoin into. And so the first thing I talk to people about, or, you know, like I said, like I was talking about before, half my time is helping to lead the TFC network. The other half is working as a Bitcoin advisor and working on a Bitcoin podcast to provide education. And as a Bitcoin advisor, my mission is to help people understand acquire and self-custody Bitcoin in that order. You have to understand it first, then you have to acquire it, then you have to understand how to safely take ownership and responsibility for your wealth, for your monetary energy. And, you know, the first thing I ask when people come in for a session is, 
what do you what do you understand about Bitcoin right now? And what do you understand about money? Like what I need to assess their understanding because otherwise I'm just going to say stuff and I don't know if they're at that level or that's the right information. And to be quite frank, I don't teach people about Bitcoin. I simply guide them to the right places to learn. I have this broad understanding of like all these resources from like complete beginner to highly advanced. I ask people questions, then I point them to the right slot to go into right now so that they can go on their own learning journey because it is a, you know, we talk about health being a process. Well, learning about money is a process because we're starting at zero and we have a lot to understand. And, you know, it's not as intimidating as people think because, for example, like I flicked a light switch when I walked into this room. I don't really understand how electricity works. <laughs> I just have to understand how to not electrocute myself, right? right? You don't have to understand exactly how Bitcoin works because it's an unending rabbit hole. But you do need to understand enough to use it safely and make sure you're not going to lose your money and make sure you're confident enough that this is the right move. Um, to, to This is the right tool to store your money in so that it's protected both from erosion and from having it stolen. And so, yeah, I, I only work with people who are curious about Bitcoin. I've learned, I, I don't care to change anyone's mind. I don't care to lecture anyone on why it's important. It's like, if you're curious about it and you want to get some direction on how to learn more, come see me, we'll have a chat. And same thing, I offer sliding scale. So when, by the time we're done, whatever you find it was worth, you can transfer some value uh, as a way to support the work that we're doing. But I think that it's becoming more and more of a mainstream conversation. People are starting to feel like everyone feels the squeeze, right? Everyone feels like I just have no time these days. And it's like, well, why don't you have time? Well, I just, I have to work more. Um, and it's like, well, why do you have to work more? Like if you're putting in work, why isn't that enough? Like why did 50 years ago, one parent could have a full-time yeah. job, eight to five and, and unplug after work and they would be completely fine. They could own a house, they could buy groceries. It was fine. Now two parents have to work like one to two jobs each just to make ends meet. Like, why does that happen? We're all getting squeezed because the money's broken. And so, you know, people don't understand that part of it, but they all feel the squeeze. And so it's really just making it relevant of being like, well, this is, this seems to be why this is happening because the foundational thing that we use, um, isn't working very well. Like it's like an airplane has a leak. And we're all being put in danger, but no one really knows, right? Like my parents don't know that 18.5% of their wealth got taken because the Canadian government printed 18.5% more money, percent more money. Like they don't know that. So there's no problem they're seeking to solve because there's no pro they don't think there's a problem. And it's, un it's really uncomfortable and you get really pissed when yeah. you learn about it. This is like a common thing where, you know, like getting uncomfortable and angry actually makes people say, I can't be true. Like that's too crazy. That can't be true. So they kind of like shy away and then maybe they come back. But once you get through the uh, discomfort and the frustration and the anger, then it's like, okay, well, how do I solve this problem now? And then that's where it comes into it. And I think if we all have a tool, a reliable monetary tool to store our wealth into that actually preserves value over time and actually grows it relative to purchasing power, then you can actually store your time in a thermodynamically stable tool such that as time goes on, if you've saved a little bit of this energy that you're, that you're earning, you eventually don't have to do anything to earn more energy. That energy is just saved to the point where you can use that in future. And I think that that's a point where that's how you get out of the squeeze. That's how you get off the hamster wheel. But there's a, there's a steep learning curve in order to even understand that that's possible and relevant uh, to people in a place like Canada, where we're like in the 1% of the 1% in terms of our access to financial services. But 
we've never questioned money and we've never been taught about money. And that's the obstacle to kind of come over. And like I said, I think money is the base problem that is, you know, cause like I, I've, I've had a few times where I'm like, why is it so hard to convince people to take care of themselves? <laughs> right. Why is it so hard? People are in pain. They're struggling. They want, they don't want to feel like that. Why is it so hard to convince them? Why do we even need to convince them? First of all, for to get people to take care of themselves. And it's because everything in society is engineered around creating resistance to health because it's profitable. And the game theory of how this world works revolves around money. If you have money, you have power, you have influence. And if you create shit food that externalizes uh, health problems, right? And no one's pricing in those externalities, which is what the government's supposed to do, right? Like if there was a, um, a health tax on junk food that directly was ported over to creating a health subsidy for fresh produce, like that seems like a good idea. It's not that hard to implement. Why isn't this being done? So clearly like the government is preoccupied with just staying in power, not actually taking care of the people they're supposed to serve. And so when you look at it from that perspective, I just think there's so many elegant, simple and actually realistic solutions that could be put into practice if we actually understood health. And, um, and I, I just think it's none of it's being done and that's part of the opportunity, but it's part of the frustration where it's like, we're whining about this virus when in reality, we're not doing anything to solve the health problem. And this seems like it's insanity. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it certainly feels that way. And I think a large part of what, what you're getting at there and, and maybe the first step to all of this stuff is, is simply just awareness. Like you said, we don't yes. know anything about money. A lot of us don't know anything about health either. And we don't even know that we don't know things about it. People have been using cash and the regular money and, you know, you just go, you go about your day. And when you, when you get a sniffle, you just go to the doctor and they give you something. You don't know what it is, but he said, take it. Or she said, take it and you just do it. And then that's it. And then you never think about anything you do ever. And so we're not aware of, of our day-to-day actions. Like you ask someone to, you know, ask them a simple, simple question. Like, do you eat healthy? Oh yeah, of course I eat healthy. Okay. Write everything, write everything down that you eat for a week and you look at it and it's craft dinner and Coca-Cola and McDonald's. And it's like, well, you know, what part of that was, what part of that was healthy? It's like, we weren't even aware. It was diet Coke. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It was diet Coke. So calorie free, there you go. But it's like, we're not even aware of, of the things that we do. And so it's, it's conversations like this. And this was a huge reason that I wanted to speak to you because I knew you would go here. And it's like, it's, it's things like this that it's like, well, let's just start thinking about it and think about what questions to ask the, the proper people. Because if we're not even aware of the information that we're unaware of, there's no way that we'll ever be able to, to ask the right questions and learn the things that we need to learn to, you know, improve our life in every sense of that word. Yeah. And I think, um, I guess the last thing I'd like to unpack is this word responsibility, right? It's what you started off with. And I think it's such a big part of health and also money, right? Like you have to take responsibility for your finances uh, by gaining some literacy of how the whole machine works so that you're not getting duped. Um, And Gabor Mate has a great way of breaking down responsibility. It's response able, right? You are, you are able to respond to the challenge in order to gain the ability to respond. You require awareness and you require some basic tools. And so I think providing that awareness, which is kind of what we try and do through all of our content platforms at TFC and empowering people with some basic tools that they can implement and apply awareness and tools equals the ability to respond equals. Now you're prepared to take responsibility because when you go to the doctor, 
if someone goes to the doctor and they're obese and they're, they're very overweight and the doctor says you need to lose weight. I think the person, the first thing the person thinks is like, well, fucking duh. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be like this. Yeah. Um, and if all they say is, yeah, yeah, eat healthy foods. It's like, you've given zero, you've, you've, um, forced the person, you've told the person they need to take responsibility, yet you've given no awareness and tools for them to be able to respond. That's not fair. And that only happens because the doctors know nothing about food. They're not taught anything about food. Um, and so, and, like, and we just, just to, have, sorry, just to, just to interrupt you there for a second, sure. their financial model also is not conducive to them spending more time to learn about that, to yes. spend the time it, it's, it's required to educate that patient. Sure. So they don't have the tool that they themselves don't have the tools, nor do they have like the game theory of health is messed up as a physio, the, the crappier I am at my job. And the more you have to come see me, the more money I make. <laughs> yeah. Obviously that's going to rule the business, the way business is done in the physio industry is based on the financial incentive structure. And so we fundamentally need, need a new game of health where you get paid more by helping people become healthier. And, you know, there's, I, in China, I think it used to be this way where like, as a doctor, you're responsible for a certain amount of people, the more time, the more times people need to come see you and the less healthy they are, the less you get paid. So your incentive is to help people be healthy. That's how it actually makes you make more money. And so it's tough because these are giant gargantuan systems that have evolved over time and are very deeply rooted. And this old, uh, Buckminster Fuller quote, uh, I love, and this is on the Footner program website. It's, uh, instead of trying, it's, this isn't verbatim, but it's like, instead of trying to change the old system, create a new one that makes the old one obsolete. And I think that that's a, that's kind of where we are right now. You can fight all day and night against these powerful institutions that are deeply rooted and, and unwilling to change. Or you can just create a better system and, you know, like flock people into it and word of mouth gets out. And, you know, like, I think that's what we need to do. And so, yeah, I think when it comes to responsibility, don't be the person who tells the person who tells someone that's coming to see you for help to take responsibility without actually giving them any awareness or tools so that they're able to respond. And so I think that's um, the, the one big thing that I think is, is super unfair and actually really demotivating and kills people's mental health is just like, I know I'm overweight. I know I need to lose weight. No one's actually helping me gain the knowledge required for me to take ownership of this and actually make changes. And it's a shame because it's actually really simple stuff. Um, and oftentimes those people search for the big changes and they get led astray with more complexity and things that don't actually end up working. Because it's not about the, the magic miracle pill. It's about literally gain fundamental understanding about the basics and work to implement them every day and have a point of reference where you can go see someone if you're getting lost, if you're getting off the trail, have someone that can usher you back on the trail, not claim to do the work for you or give you the special thing, but just say, yeah, you got lost. And I get lost all the time, first of all. Um, but when I get lost, here's here are the trails I, I got to take back to the main road. And here's how you get back there. Come with me. That's kind of what a health guide is, is like someone who helps you not get too far off the path. And it's not someone that holds your hand the whole way because getting off the path is part of the journey of health, right? Doing experiments that don't end up the way you want them to or making mistakes. Like this is all part of the path. This Absolutely. is part of the process, but there's a difference between going off the path and then falling, going so far off the path that you fall off a cliff. And like, that's really what a health guide is there for. I think is just to, to make sure you don't go beyond the safe boundaries and make sure that you always have, they're like your compass, right? Like that's where you want to go. Here's the compass. 
And that's kind of what a health guide is your compass to kind of check in with to make sure, am I on the right path? Like I'm getting kind of confused. I'm not getting results or I just need a bit more clarity. And in order to be a, a competent health guide, you have to take radical responsibility for your health. You have to lead by example and take your health way more seriously than anyone else does. And that group of people who take the most responsibility, the 1% of people who just care and are obsessed with taking care of themselves. Um, those are the people who are best prepared to guide others, not the people who have the expensive piece of paper that only proves that they're good at taking tests. And that is the fundamental problem of why we're in this weird place. Um, and I'm very optimistic. Like we're doing work at TFC with a group of, uh, you know, these footners are amazing humans and, uh, you know, speaking with them and being in community and the discussions and the zoom calls we have, or the Slack platform, it's like, that gives me a lot of hope because I'm like, there are people who actually find meaning in working on this problem and are actually working to implement solutions uh, for this TFC network that's that's been created. And I hope that some of those solutions can be templates for uh, companies and organizations with bigger resource, uh, with with more resources and bigger networks. And you know, our goal is to, to create a health protocol, you know, for lack of a better name, that bigger organizations can plug into their network and know that this is like you know from first principles, this is how this works. And it'll only get better the more we work on this. And health can be simple if you're just willing to accept the fact that we just need to get back to what our biology wants, not not try and search for the newest, fanciest thing. Yeah, I love it. It's it, it can be daunting when you when you look at the whole system and think, oh, there's so much wrong with it. But then, like you said, when you get stuck in and you start to interact with and meet and connect with other people, you're like, nope. There's there's some hope here. There's there's more than there's more than just me, more than just one person who's thinking this way. And you know there's there's a there's a big hill to climb, but but it's it's being climbed. So you know again, it, it's conversations like this, and and I know that uh, we're we're running out of time here. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of cut things off here. We could we could keep going for forever, and maybe there there'll have to be a part two at, at some point here. Um, yeah, I'm game. But I but I just want to thank you very much for for your time and, and for sharing. Um, everything today. And if you want to just rattle off um, all the places that people can can get in contact with you and, and TFC and everything, and I'll throw it in the show notes um, if, if they're interested for more. Yeah. And thank you again, Daniel, for reaching out. You know, I I get a lot of podcast requests and these days to me, focus is saying no to things that you would actually want to do, but um, can't do because you're just doing one thing. And right now, for me, that's Bitcoin and the Bitcoin podcast. Um, but once in a while, I get someone to reach out and their email is just like, I should probably talk to that person because they're doing important work. And yours was yours was one of those emails. So thank you for reaching out and for doing this. And if people want to get, uh, if people want to see our work at the Foot Collective, it's thefootcollective.com or the Foot Collective on Instagram. Uh, all of our stuff is there. So we try and put out as much free, high quality content as we can. Um, but that's probably the launch point is thefootcollective.com. That'll bring you into all the different projects we have going on. Um, for Bitcoin, it's uh, bitcoinstoa.com is the podcast landing page. It's a very simple analog page. And it's basically, we're filling in a database of episodes that breaks down, you know, School of Coin is our first show, 21 episodes. And my goal with that was to create an on-ramp for people that know virtually nothing about Bitcoin. Like I want to create 21 podcasts that my mom can listen to. And at the end be like, I understand it. I want to get it. I'm confident I can self-custody. And that's like <laughs> the goal. So BitcoinStoa.com, thefootcollective.com. And that's pretty much it. And like I said, thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, in future, I'm I'm down for a part two if we can work out the scheduling. 
Awesome. I, I appreciate the kind words very much. Everybody listening, uh, thank you very much for, for your attention and for uh, you know listening and, and taking notes. Hopefully a lot to unpack here. Make sure you are plugged into everything that Nick and the Foot Collective and Bitcoin Stoa has got going on. Lots of good stuff there. Again, we'll be in the show notes of the episode here. While you're at it, give me a follow on Instagram as well. Like and subscribe and you know rating to the podcast, whatever helps spread this whole message and get this thing out there a little bit more. But until then, please take responsibility for your own health. Do good things in the world and have a great day.